0: What if there were special keys that could help you as a believer navigate the end times? Today we're joined by Pastor D.G. Hargrove to talk about four keys to growth. If you apply these keys to your life, this time next year you're going to be amazed by the transformation you experience. All this and more today on The End Time Show. Now available for pre-order, Understanding the End Time explains the prophecies of the Bible in a way that anyone can understand it. So go to endtime.com ABC or call 800-END-TIME to pre-order today and get over $350 in bonus content. There are three pre-order options for you. You can get the DVD series, you can get the book, or you can get the DVD series and the book. And when you pre-order that, we're going to throw in a bunch of bonus items, including a group VIP video call with Dave Robbins. So pre-order today and be one of the first ones to receive our brand new foundational series when it ships in June. Go to endtime.com slash ABC or call 800-END-TIME today. All right, well, I am so excited today to be joined by... Uh, My pastor and Irvin's pastor, when he passed away, D.G. Hargrove, welcome to the End Time Show for the very first time. First time. Unbelievable. (laughs) Now, um, I I tell about this crazy pastor that called Irvin one day and said it's God's will. I think that it, I was down praying and I think it's God's will that you move to Dallas. And here you are. (laughs) So if you want to put a face to that story, this is you. How would you get the courage to call somebody randomly like that? Because you, you guys weren't friends or anything. No. Probably no. didn't know each other, really.
1: No, we didn't. I had you know, met him, just shook his hand at a general conference. Uh, probably 93 met him and uh, just listened to his program, uh, bought every bit of the material that he had. Uh, I bought the flip chart. Yep. I bought the, uh, the slides that go on the overhead projector back in the 90s you use. And uh, I brought the material home, taught
0: it to our church, and uh, taught it so, other so places. So this was before the DVDs. Yeah. You had to get the slides. Somebody yeah. manually flipped those sheets. Oh yeah. And it wasn't you, right? Someone no. else was doing it. Somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that was not very uh, uh, well. Let's just say he wasn't savvy with it. <laughs> and uh, and so you had to teach it yourself using those slides. So that I guess that probably would have been the first time that you like heard about End Time ninety oh, yes. three. You said yes. And uh, one thing led to another. You started teaching it in your church. And how, what, what happened from there? Well,
1: uh, I've, when he would come into Dallas, I would go to the conferences. And uh, then I started talking to uh, Kara. Kara started calling me. And uh, Kara is
0: Irvin's sit, middle daughter, my yes, mother. Your
1: mother. Yes. She started calling me in 90, about 95, 96, uh, saying we have some people interested in the end-time Bible study and uh, we started making all these contacts. And we all of a sudden started seeing a whole host of people coming through the end time ministry. And so I was trying to do everything I could with it. And we had a guy that uh, was not on staff. He's a truck driver. And uh, he he was uh, using the material as well. I went to him and I said, Brother Johnny, how would you like to do this all the time? He said, I'd love it. Mm. So ended up bringing him on staff. And uh, just turning it loose, and uh, Irvin and I started talking here and there, and uh, of course I talked to Kara all the time, and uh, when they would come into town. Of course we'd go out to eat and stuff like that. But and when I it, 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 to make a long story short, we uh, uh, we we were visiting, and uh, I just as we were visiting, I felt a connection, uh, a real deep connection. And uh, I started praying for him every day. I was pray for End Time Ministry, pray for Irvin Baxter, of course, every day. And and one morning I was praying, and uh, I felt the Lord impress me. You need to call Irvin Baxter and tell him it's God's plan for him to move to Dallas. I started sweating. <laughs> I got nervous. Uh, I got up from prayer and I sat at my desk, and I thought. How in the world am I going to do that? <laughs> well,
0: thinking, it's good to know that you're normal because, uh, you know, I feel that way sometimes. And I know a lot of people do when God tells them to do something. And you're like, you know, maybe I'm the only one that acts this way when God speaks to me. But no, it's, everybody deals with this, right? <laughs> yeah. I did that day for sure. <laughs> I waited about three days before I
1: called him. Oh, man. Because I was so shook up about it. I thought I, I was, went through my mind all these different scenarios I could just see my picture on the front cover of the end time magazine. <laughs> Nutty preacher from Dallas gives crazy call, false prophet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> I think this is not this this may not go very well. So I ended up calling him and uh, I get him on the phone and I said, Brother Baxter, I identified myself. I said, This is probably one of the craziest calls you've ever received. And I know you've received some crazy ones. <laughs> I said, but I was praying, and I felt the Lord impressed me to tell you that you and the end-time ministry need to move to Dallas. And it got quiet. I went, there you go. You dropped the bomb. <laughs> and it, you know how he was. He was so calm. He goes, well, Brother Arnold, uh, let me pray about that. I said, okay. So we ended up with, you know, some pleasantries there. And then I started talking to uh, your mother, and I told her what I did, and she said, "Oh, that is the will of God." <laughs> uh, long story short, uh, your mother, uh, Kara, told your mother, and Irvin, of course, told your mother, and she said, "I've always dreamed of living in Dallas." She said, "When when you wrote your book, and you you had a uh, you were going to have." Dallas destroyed. That,
0: you know, Judy's the one that did that. Yeah, she
1: said, "I'm not having Dallas destroyed." T- Change it to Houston. Houston. <laughs> but it, uh, the Irvin and the whole staff came down, met with our staff, and we had a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, we both groups received confirmation. Mm-hmm. This was God's plan, and here we sit
0: today. There's a lot that's happened since oh, then. Oh,
1: my. You look at this whole place. You Coming to Dallas was the best move. I mean, this place is phenomenal. End-time mm-hmm. ministry is phenomenal. Uh, it launched big time when it hit Dallas. Uh, it just took off
0: like a blaze. Leading up to this conversation, which, by the way, uh, as you know, and let everybody else know, you and I talk a lot. And Your wife knows that in particular. Yeah, I asked yeah. her, I said, do you think we can make it a whole hour? Because <laughs> she makes fun of us. But, we'll have to cut it short. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll stick around after the show. So. Uh, but uh, we talk a lot, so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to have a conversation. We're talking about four keys to growth. Now, you have a series called Nine Keys to Growth, but we know that it's impossible for us to cover all nine today. So you're going to get four of them, and, and I you don't want to miss it. I'm, I'll <laughs> promise you that. If you hear what he has to say, if you hear what we talk about, um, and you apply it, it's going to transform your life. So I'm excited about the conversation today. I was telling my wife that uh, it's interesting if you stop and think about it. Irvin was about your age when he moved to Dallas. He was. He and was. so. I don't know what's happening, but maybe maybe you're about to launch a TV ministry. I don't know. You're here in the studio for the first time doing a show. You never know what could happen. You never know. We just apply God gravity. But we'll be right back after this break to talk more about the four keys to growth.
2: They that understand
0: what is taking place
2: will instruct many.
0: Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is.
3: End time is not going anywhere. (laughs)
0: of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intimecom slash future or call 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding
1: about
2: what the Bible says concerning End Time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be
0: in a location near you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with a very special guest, my pastor, Pastor D.G. Hargrove. We're talking about four keys to growth that every End Time believer needs. And so we quickly ran through a brief history of uh, Pastor D.G. Hargrove's connection to End Time Ministries and Irvin Baxter. And um, we left off there where he called Irvin and told him that he felt like it was God's will that he moves to Dallas And the rest, of course, is history, and so now you talk a lot about growth, and if that's something that we've ever needed, we need it now in 2023. It's not just growth with churches, which you you help a lot of pastors out in that regard, but you probably spend most of your time talking to people individually and helping them grow through things, and so um, that's what we're going to talk about today, as you well know, and you've helped me... Tremendous. I guess I should should pause by and start by saying that, you know, I have um, incredible father figures in my life. My dad is a great dad. I have a great stepdad. Of course, my grandfather was a, a wonderful father figure. I moved here when I was nineteen, and I think you hired me the week that I arrived. Yeah. And uh, boy, we have some fun stories that we oh, can tell boy. from those early years. But uh, you have been a uh, incredible father figure to me on top of all the other great father figures that I had and so I'm grateful for you and one thing you helped me see was a lot about self-honesty. You've pointed some things out in my life and helped me see things and adjust how I think and so I'm grateful for you and I know that's where we kind of start when we talk about a growth culture so it starts with me right? It starts with me. So it's what do you say me. to people in that regard?
1: <laughs> well it, it this came to me in 1997 this examination of me and the uh, quest for self-honesty. I I realized I needed to be honest with myself. And so in 1997, we just completed a, a building phase and the building looked empty. And as most pastors would, you would pray, God help this church to grow. But I started praying, God help me to grow. And as I started praying God help me to grow, it was in an early morning prayer meeting that I had, a, had this epiphany, uh, I had a vision, and I saw a hand holding a set of keys. And these keys, there were nine of them. And in the vision, I heard a voice say, these are your keys to growth. And I said, what are they? And immediately, nine things, statements came to me. When I came out of the vision, I wrote them down, started studying them, Then I started applying them to my life. And everything around me started growing. Everything. And so I believe that, and I'll share some of those with you in a moment, but I believe that growth should be organic. And I believe that when we develop the right culture, that organic growth takes place. And uh, I normally juxtapose two cultures. Two cultures that I think are are important to, to recognize. The, the people of God should should lean into a value-driven culture versus a performance-driven culture. And I'll, I'll share those two cultures with you.
0: Yeah, we need to dive off into that because there's a lot of value-driven and um, there's a lot of performance-driven, mainly performance-driven in church culture and in Christian culture anyway. The Western world, Lots of performance-driven stuff going on. And your message goes dr- dramatically up against that. It does. And so this <laughs> might hurt a little for some people out there today. It might. It <laughs> if might. If, if it, they realize that it starts with me and they're self-honest about yeah. it. Yeah. You've got to look at yourself. And if, if you can look at
1: yourself and ask yourself, do I, which culture do I lean into? Do I lean into the value-driven culture or the performance-driven culture? The, the value-driven culture is identified in the book of Genesis in the second chapter. When God creates man, he creates man and gives man a job. I love pointing out the fact that he gave him a job before he gave him a wife. Mama. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> he gave him a job. And he put him on purpose. And his job was to value the king and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Take care of this garden. And as long as he did that, and he valued the king and his kingdom, he lived in this organic culture that organically grew. It was value-driven. <coughs> the other culture is a performance-driven culture. Now, the, the, the value-driven culture was successful until they changed their values. They quit valuing the king and his kingdom, and they changed their values. And then we see the culture that juxtaposes that one is a performance-driven culture. And this is where Cain kills Abel. This is a performance-driven culture. They were in in contention over worship and they got into a performance-driven, Cain did, and he killed his brother Abel. These two cultures are in competition with one another constantly. And so I'd like to just point out uh, how the value-driven culture operates as far as uh, the values and what, it, what our values do to us. We all have values, but when you value the king and his kingdom, value determines desires. Desires determine our priorities. Our priorities determines our direction, and our direction determines our destination. It's just that simple. Value drives us. What we value. If a, The reason a person is in prison is because they valued theft and covetousness and all those things. And the reason that other people are in other places that they didn't want to be is because they, they had the wrong set of values. But we as Christians are given a value set. We value the king and his kingdom. We seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things are added to us. And so, my point is, our value determines our desire. Our desire determines our priority, our priorities
0: determines our direction, and our direction determines our destination. You brought up Cain and Abel, comparing the two. Yes. What's a a more modern example? I know that these same principles are still um, applied today. So what, what's something that you could say to someone that would help them to relate it to their life today?
1: I would say uh, a performance-driven culture is constantly measuring things. And, uh, and instead of valuing things, they measure things. It's a competitive environment, and uh, it's, not re- it's not relationship-driven. It's more of a com- competition with one another and a competition with things around them. And so performance-driven culture is, is based on, on acquisition, recognition, and sensation. A value-driven culture is, is based on honoring the king and his kingdom. And it's based on seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's kingdom mode, and it looks at the kingdom... It's selflessness is value-driven. Selfishness is performance-driven. If you find yourself getting into a selfish mode, you're leaning into a performance-driven culture. You're leaning into it, and you'll find yourself frustrated because we will never be able to bring contentment to ourselves in a performance-driven mode because we will never get all we want I know people who have all kinds of money. They never get enough money. I know people get all kinds of things. They never get enough things. I know people who have all kinds of fun, to take all kinds of trips, but they never get enough of it. The only way we can find contentment is when we find that value-driven culture and we say, God, I'm going to value you and your kingdom, and we find contentment.
0: There. You see this, um, this challenge in marriages or in families. Of course. Of course. How, how does that play out? Because... <laughs> You know, I think people can relate it to work and it's easy to get in performance driven mode, at least how it is in this Western world and work. And then we get, you know, I can speak for myself, I suppose, is earlier in my years of marriage, I might have been a little more performance driven where we start comparing. Oh, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. You you know, so we can get that way in our relationships, I know. But I know you deal a lot with that. So how, how do you help people see that in their marriage or in their home life and and get out of it I go back to
1: self-honesty the two the two cultures that what made the difference in the two cultures and being redeemed is self-honesty Adam and Eve was asked where are you and they were honest they said we're over here we're naked what'd you do they were self they were honest when Cain was asked the question where is your brother he was not honest There was no self-honesty there. He said, I don't know. I'm not in charge of my brother. And so self-honesty is going to be one of the key elements to help you identify the leaning into a performance-driven culture and help you fight against the proclivity that we have to be
0: performance-driven people. So part of that connects into living with an open hand. How do, how do we get there? Because that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow as well because we like yeah. to hold on to things and not let it go.
1: Well, the open hand philosophy was something that came to me. It's another one of those epiphanies that came to me back in the late 80s. And uh, as I've spoken before, I was pastoring and pioneering a church in Canyon City, Colorado. And uh, while I was doing this, I uh, got a, just a handful of people coming, and one of the ladies that it, it was coming uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, it was going to be fatal. And they called in hospice, and they called me over and said, it looks like Gloria Beckham is about to pass. And so I went over and stood beside her bed, and as Gloria was breathing her last breath, she had her hands tight like this, and she's fighting for life and breath. And when she Finally breathed her last breath. Her hands just didn't just relax, but they went all the way out like this. And the scripture naturally came to me and said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. I felt God dealing with me about something even deeper. And at that point I when I finished up with the family, I went to our little building and I knelt down and started praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I everything I have given you you're holding it with a tight fist you're afraid you're going to lose it he said if you will open your hand he said I'm gonna take some things but I'm going to put more than I take but you're gonna have to serve me with an open hand and that epiphany changed my life I got up from there at prayer meeting and I started saying God everything I have belongs to you I lost the fear I, I, the fear of loss aversion Mm -hmm. uh, left and I I suddenly felt like I could live free and not worry about anything leaving me and anything coming to me that wasn't supposed to be mine. And that ties into the God gravity thing there that we may talk about, but it, it, uh, this open hand philosophy allowed me to see some things move and some things come and go. And I think the uh, living with an open hand is living by faith and trusting that if I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything that's supposed to be mine is coming to me. Everything that's not supposed to be mine is moving away from me. And that's the God gravity. Mm -hmm. It, It is believing and trusting God with an open hand and not trying to hold everything to ourselves.
0: And that was a life-changing experience for me. Do you remember what the first thing was that was hard for you to apply this to? And are you willing to share it (laughs) broadcasting around the world?
1: (laughs) Well, we're a small church. We have just a few people. And a couple comes to me and says, "Uh, Pastor, we're going to leave. Well, I was scared to death at that point that they were going to leave because... This is, you know, I don't have very many people here to help us. And so I started to do this. And then I felt something check me. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, I told you to serve me with an open hand. And I opened my hand. And I said, you know what? If if you feel led to leave, I want you to leave. And they, they ended up leaving. Uh, they ended up... Uh, it wasn't long after that i received a visit uh from a agent wanted to know if they attended our church and i said no they don't long story short they went to prison for arson Mm. and uh and i after that i i I lifted my hands and i said god i'm gonna trust you (laughs) with this open hand i'm gonna trust you with it
0: but it's not always big stuff like that though right no this is something that that we have to apply in all areas of our all life. All areas of life. Yeah. All areas. It's a, it, it's a powerful
1: way to live, but it is so liberating. And if we as the people of God can live with an open hand, trusting that God is in charge of all of this, He's bringing to us everything that's supposed to be ours, He's moving everything that's not supposed to be ours, we will not have lean into the performance-driven culture, we will lean into the value-driven culture by leaning in and saying, I'm going to value the king and his kingdom. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and
0: his righteousness, and all these things will be added to me. Amen. Well, we certainly miss Doug Norvell. As you all know, that he's gone on tour now, and they will be gone for a little while, but we are so uh, grateful to have Pastor D.G. Hargrove here with us. After the break, we're going to talk about four keys to growth for end-time believers. Like I said... Uh, He has nine keys but we're not going to be able to get to all of them today so we're going to try to cover four in the little bit of time that we do have. One thing I'll mention is he he said that he picked up the the slides and the VHSs and the flip chart back in the 90s and that's kind of how he was introduced to end time and um, now we are coming out with the fourth edition of Understand the End Time. It is available for pre-order. He's actually already teaching it in his church, or rather someone at the church is, but it's happening in, in the church at North Cities in Garland. And so uh, he definitely will promote it. We'll maybe talk about it a little more on the other side of the break, Understand the End Time in general. But you can go pre-order it now at endtime.com ABC. When you do it today, you'll get over $350 in bonus items. We'll be right back.
3: Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you.
0: Welcome back to The End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with Pastor D.G. Hargrove. Doug Norvell is out on tour in Israel. He and his wife Tina, Dave and Jana, and several other team members are taking a group of two buses over to Israel. They actually left this morning they're in New York today and they fly out for Israel tomorrow and they will be sending us videos along the way. So we'll be keeping you guys posted on where they are at. Um, but it's a delight to have Pastor D.G. Hargrove here with us. Not only is he my pastor, he was Irvin's pastor until he passed away. He's still Judy Baxter's pastor and uh, we love him here. And we're talking about something that he he has uh, been talking about for several years called the Nine Keys Of growth, but we're only able to get to four today. So we are diving off into that because we believe that as in-time believers and what we face today, if we can apply these keys to growth, it's going to dramatically change our lives. It's going to help us navigate the times that are ahead. So um, make sure that you're ready for this because we're going to get off into these keys to growth right now. Before we do, make sure that you pause and share this video. Hit the heart heart icon. Comment what you think about what we are talking about. That helps us Break through the algorithm and get to your friends and family. Most importantly, hit the share button and make sure that it gets out. So, uh, Pastor Hargrove, we were talking about, well, we talked about a lot of things in that last segment, but we're getting into the four keys to growth that we're going to be able to cover today. There's some stuff we left out. I'm happy to jump into that, or we can dive right off into the keys to growth, Uh, the value driven environment specifically. I know that um, you you drew from Eden a little bit. I don't know if you want to dive off into that now. Or what? I'll follow your lead. Sure, I can. uh, uh, When when God
1: created uh, the earth, uh, He had a place for everything. Everything had a place. He put the stars in the sky. He put the fish in the sea. He put the fowl in. He put the fowl in the sky. He brought order. He brought order. Yeah. And then he uh, he he put the seed and the plant in the soil. He put the cattle on the land. But when he got ready to put man, he put man in Eden. Eden means a delightful spot in the presence of God. The whole plan of God is to bring us back to a delightful spot in the presence of God. That is why the, the, the reason that we see chaos all around us is we're out of place. Place is an important thing. God has a place for everything. But humanity is out of place right now mm. because we're not in that delightful spot in the presence of God. I'll show you how important place is. Place When you look at the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, there are three parables there. There are a number of things that tie those three parables together, but one common is place. The sheep was out of the fold, place. The coin was out of circulation, place. The son was out of the father's house, place. God has a place. And the reason that the, the enemy fights the people of God so much is because we're calling humanity back to Eden, a delightful spot in the presence of God. If we can get back to a delightful spot in the presence of God, we will bring more order to our life. That's why I uh, stress the value-driven culture is so important because it's driving us back into the presence of God where our priority is the king and his kingdom seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we get there, that's when we find more order to our lives. When people when people will ask themselves, getting back to self-honesty, when people ask themselves, if my life is out of order, way in chaos, ask yourself, Ask yourself, are you trying to get back to that delightful spot in the presence of God? Are you looking for Eden or are you in this competitive environment that is performance driven and I'm trying to get the things that I want? And when we get to this place and we we help others get to this place, a delightful spot in the presence of God, we will find life gets more order to it. Because God has a place
0: for everything. And right now, humanity is out of place. When you talk about the presence of God, it makes me think of the children of Israel. It's like we kind of see a glimpse of this return as they follow the presence of God through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. And then of course you go into the New Testament and there's a dramatic shift there of the presence of God and being led by his Spirit. How do you what do you say about all that being connected do you think that's kind of connected back to eden or or is it not at all
1: i think i think it was uh uh giving us a reflection of what eden may may resemble uh uh, as the children of israel moved through uh most of that was a mirror for us today uh so that we could look back and the bible says they were given to us as in samples uh they were shadows and types and metaphors of where we live now Uh, We live as we have been filled with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit that lives inside of us is that delightful spot. It's the presence of God recreated, and it's living
0: in us. So it's available today. It's available. (laughs) For everyone. Amen. So... I, I'm pretty sure you believe that we are living in the end time definitely you're on the end time <laughs> yeah. show you're teamed up with end time uh, um, we teach it Teach yeah. it so how how where would you put this specifically being in a delightful place in the presence of God where would you put that in your list of priorities for end time believers tops tops because the delightful spot in the
1: presence of God recreates this value-driven culture, puts everything back in place. Everything gets back in order. When people tell me, you know, my life is in a chaos, I ask them, what are you thinking about? What have you been thinking about? Because He gives perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed upon Him. And so in this delightful spot in the presence of God, He becomes top priority. 613 laws rest on two things. Loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. And loving your neighbor as yourself. And in those is a core
0: of a value-driven culture. I'm just thinking about how we don't do that. You know? I, I know, and it's so simple. It's People can't grasp that. And then... You know, there are people who aren't following the Lord who struggle with this. And then there are people who are trying to follow the Lord and they still struggle with it. And people that follow end time prophecy. You know, we talk a lot about world government that's coming. We talk about the mark of the beast that's coming and different things like that. Well, people can get caught up with that messaging and neglect this part of it. You know, following Jesus is not just about Bible prophecy, which we talk about a lot here and it's important. But. If you just focus on that, and you get so caught up and strung out, and you neglect this part of it, you are going to be a mess.
1: You are going to be. You are not going to have peace. We can have peace in the midst of this chaos. Yeah, we can have it, and it comes. The writer says it this way in the twelfth chapter of Hebrews. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Getting rid of yourself, dying to yourself, and realizing all this stuff is happening. We know it's happening. And it's chaotic. But accept the fact that humanity is out of place. It's going to stay out of place until Jesus returns. It's not going to get back in order. Nothing that we can do ourselves is going to bring all of this back to order as, as a whole. We can find individuals and lead them to the presence of God, Get help them to get into the, a delightful place in the presence of God, and they can find peace themselves. They can find hope themselves. They can find joy and comfort and all these other things that God has promised us. But we, we, we have to surrender ourselves. And I say this quite often, but the number one enemy to all relationships, relationship with God, relationship with our spouse, relationship with friends, family, number one enemy is selfishness and selfishness was the root of, of a performance-driven culture. Cain thought of himself. In a value-driven culture, we don't think of ourselves as much as we think of him. And we think of others. That's the first two commandments. Mm-hmm. First two commandments. And it's just so simple. Just follow these two commandments. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything that you need is going to come to you. You can live in peace in the midst of chaos.
0: Amen. Praise God. I try to live it.
1: <laughs> I live it, and it, it to me, it's so it, it's it's so simple that we fly over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just it's right there. Yeah, and uh, it's just I think uh, all the noise around us and all the things that we see and hear and and uh, are made available to us uh, cause us to get distracted. That's why the writer said, uh, laying aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. My faith doesn't rest in anything on this planet. My faith rests in God. Amen.
0: And that gives me such great hope and peace. Me too. (laughs) Well, we haven't even talked about the four keys to growth yet. So uh, we're going to get into it, though. So don't be (laughs) mad at me. I know it's it's a little late, but nonetheless, we're going to get into it. I want to pause again and say make sure that you share this video. And uh, if you're hungry for growth, no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, comment now and and just kind of make a declaration and type the word growth in. Comment that in the comment section. The word growth. Do it now. Hit share. Help us out with that. All right. Nine keys to growth. The first one we're getting into is be a giver. Be a giver. Well, uh, what about being a taker? Because that's what we like <laughs> most. <laughs> that's what most people do. <laughs> be a taker. <laughs> be a giver. How's that number one? Well, most people. And you're a pastor, so it's like, of course, be a giver would be your. You got to pay your yeah. tithes and oh, offerings. Yeah. It's got <laughs> to be that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, that was the first key that came to me in that
1: in that epiphany, yeah uh, to be a giver uh because giving giving fights my proclivity to be selfish, it fights my proclivity to be covetous, it fights all the carnal things that work against me living in this delightful spot in the presence of God,
0: and so well, I, I know you very well as and and the, it's not because of tithes and offerings that this is number 1. No. Because you're not just talking about money. No. Not at all. No, in fact. So I just want to clarify that yeah, for the people that yeah. don't. In fact,
1: uh money is not the lead uh the lead give. Mhm. It's not the lead. Money trails. If if I give myself to God and I give myself to his purpose and his kingdom, mon- you don't ever have to worry about the money business. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of folks put the money up front talk about the money that's it's kind of like talking about the the symptoms versus the cause the cause uh, the cause is not the money the 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 cause is what do i love what do i value because if i value the king and his kingdom in this value driven culture the symptom is going to just be natural I'm gonna want to give. Mm-hmm. I won't be have. I won't
0: ever have to tell anybody uh, have to tell you to give. You're gonna want to give. Yeah, give of your time give of your money as well there's all sorts of things that you can give of we'll uh, cover this a little bit more on the other side of the break and get to the other three keys as well so don't go anywhere we'll be right back don't forget to go to endtime.com slash abc to pre-order understand the end time today you can get the dvds or the book the book's available for donation of any amount so go there and do that today we'll be right back Welcome back to The End Time Show. Vince Siegel here with D.G. Hargrove. Once again, Doug Norvell is out on tour. We'll miss him for the next couple weeks, but he is going to be sending us videos, updating us along the way um, as they are on the Israel tour. And we've got some pretty cool programming in store for you while Dave and Doug are both out. So don't miss one day of the End Time Show. Today we have Pastor D.G. Hargrove here with us, and we're talking about four keys to growth that every End Time believer needs to apply to their life. We were just getting into the first one, be a giver, and we've got a lot more to say about that because it's not just about money, right? No. What all that that And What more do you want to say about being a giver? Well, being a giver, and as I talked about earlier, the
1: value-driven culture, the only way you can live in this value-driven culture, which is, A delightful spot in the presence of God is you have to give yourself first thing. That's why I say it starts with me. Mm -hmm. And I've got to be honest with myself. And I give myself, Well, as I give myself in this value-driven culture, everything else I'm going to want to give. I want to give. I want to give to others. I want to give my resources. Most people walk into a room and they ask one of two questions. The first question is the one that most people ask, and that is, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? This one thing right here will change your life. If you walk into the room and say, what am I going to give? The law of harvest is bound by the law of giving. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. I can always tell what people are getting by what they're giving. If you want peace, give peace. If you want love, give love. If you want joy, be a part of someone else's joy. All of that comes back to us, and those are some of the ways in which we give. Uh, I remember uh, uh, in teaching this value-driven culture, people started giving automatically. People just started giving in all kinds of ways. I... uh, I came into the office on a Monday uh, after preaching three times on Sunday. <laughs> and
0: uh, is it true that on Monday is the day that preachers quit? Is that, is that, oh man, you You, hear you know, we get up at noon, and eat chicken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't do a lot of work. <laughs> you just happened to be there early that yeah. day. <laughs> I
1: got there. It was a, it was probably anywhere from six to seven a.m. And uh, I walked into the building and I looked down the hall. And I saw the restroom lights were on and the doors were propped open. And so I walked down there and I looked in and, uh, and it was one of the doctors in our church, Dr. Surreal. And I said, Dr. Surreal, what are you doing? He said, I'm cleaning these restrooms. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I do this every Monday. I said, how long have you been doing this? He said, close to a couple of years. I said, why are you doing this? He said, Brother Hargrove, he said, I value this place. I value this place. About that time, his little son stepped out of one of the stalls. I said, and what's he doing? He said, I'm teaching him to value this place. I went, wow. It's amazing. If you can learn to value the king, His kingdom, you'll naturally want to give and it won't matter if you get an applause or an accolade or anything like that. You're going to give because you love God and you love God, uh, love people like you love yourself. Those two commandments was going to drive you into this
0: value-driven culture, and you're going to want to give. Yeah, you're not doing it for the acknowledgement. Mm-mm. You're not doing it so that on, on Sunday on the pulpit you... Mentioned this, how great he is for doing that. He's doing it because yeah. he values the place, like you said. Yeah. If you're doing it for the
1: second reason there, it's a performance-driven. Yeah. It's performance-driven. I want to get accolades. I want to get an applause. I want to get some recognition. And that's performance. If I'm doing it uh, for performance-driven, it's not a pure motive. A pure motive is I'm doing it because I value the king and his kingdom, and I value it so much that I want to give. Yeah.
0: I want to give. Mm. Boy, if everyone would apply that, you're, you're, You might be out of a job. <laughs> I'd love it, <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> uh, the next one, as we laugh, have a sense of humor. Yes. Well, how's that even on the list? That well, should be so easy. It should be easy,
1: uh, you know. But we live in a culture that, that oftentimes takes
0: everything so serious and gets so, it's so fragile. I'm it's glad we're talking about this because. We get hate mail, Doug and I do, because we have a good time on the show. It's not always, you know, nuclear bombs and (laughs) getting a chip in your hand when we're on. And, you know, we we like to have a lot of fun. So I appreciate this one in particular. It's probably your fault. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, have a sense of humor. I think living
1: light is God's plan. I think people carry way too much. And I think that uh, there should be a joy in our life. I know that there's a lot of chaos, as I mentioned. And I know that there's a lot of trouble all around us. But we have a peace that passes understanding. Mm. You can't comprehend it logically. But we have a joy that comes from on high. It didn't come from Amazon Prime or or Walmart. It it
0: came from on high. You're going to be in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) What they don't know is that your wife is sitting over here. Who has been dubbed the Amazon Queen. Yeah, she is. <laughs> You're throwing darts at her. <laughs> this camera's about to turn off in about 10 minutes. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> she does love her some Amazon. Uh, ready to go to the next one? You got more to say?
1: Well, let me think here.
0: Have a sense of humor. The Have eight benefits of, of laughter. You want to get into that? What's that?
1: No? Eight, I, can, I can list the eight, eight benefits of laughter. Whatever
0: you want. Y- will not you mention those? Well, yeah. one of them's natural pain reducers and increases our ability to cope with pain reduces stress, enhances our immune system, provides muscle relaxation, enhances the respiratory system. That would, that would have been good during COVID. Yep. Uh, an excellent source of cardiac exercise, Tear, uh, tears down social barriers and allows a feeling of closeness. Free, there's no negative side. It's free. It yep. doesn't cost any money to have a good sense of humor or a benefit of laughter. So there you go. Laughter is uh, if, if, if we will really cast our
1: burden upon God, we can live light, and when we live light, we live with a joy and a peace, and we can laugh. I've used laughter in pastoring
0: numerous times. Oh, can we tell this story? Which one? We can't tell this story. Which one? This is In Time Plus exclusive content, so we can't tell okay. it on the regular show. Okay. That one, um, that one where that person was wanting an appointment with you, and I, I was actually the one there trying to arrange it and you weren't in the building but they thought you were and they got upset. Oh you yeah. That? yeah. We can't tell that. On, it's an End Time Plus exclusive. Okay. One I mean, day. Maybe I
1: can tell the uh, the uh, sheep one.
0: That's a great one to tell. <laughs> Absolutely. All right.
1: Uh, we're doing a, 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 a Christmas play. Yes. And the directors decide to bring in live animals. Well, I've got a group of elders there that have never seen live animals in the church house. And... One of them in particular particular was upset. I come into the building, and, and she's there. She said, I can't believe you've allowed us to desecrate the house of God. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. I just grinned kind of like this. I said, what are you talking about? She said, let me show you. We walked to the back, and there's some sheep. And uh, she said, look at that. She said, sheep in the house of God. And, boy, she just gets all over it and... Man, she's coming down on me, and I'm grinning. I'm just grinning, and and uh, she says, uh, And uh, about that time, that sheep, sheep do what sheep do. Yes. If you know what I mean. I know exactly. about what that you time mean. that sheep did what sheep do. <laughs> and she, she loved said, that. Oh, sure. God. That really sent it into orbit. And uh, she said, Look at that. And I said, Well, I kind of looked around, I said, Sister. Don't get a bad attitude. <laughs> and she started laughing. She couldn't quit laughing. And she reached over grabbed me and hugged me. She's, she's an elderly lady. And she said, you can't get mad about anything, can you? <laughs> Good move on that oh, one. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, think, I think living light does uh, diffuse a lot of stuff. Absolutely. It, uh,
0: Next one's adjust to unexpected
1: changes. That one has been uh, is so important for us. Uh, we will all have unexpected changes. Mm-hmm. In pastoring, I'll get a call. I'll get a call that says, uh, Brother Hargrove, guess what? We're expecting a child. The next call, Brother Hargrove, guess what? I've just been diagnosed with cancer. The next call, guess what, Brother Hargrove? We're buying our first home. The next call, Brother Hargrove, We just found out my son is on drugs. And we in life, we have coaster moments. They're they're all over. And they're going to come. But to be a good Christian, we've got to bounce back from our setbacks. And we've got to do it by trusting God. We've got to come back. And we've got to bounce back from our setbacks. And we will all have unexpected changes in our life. I identify three types of storms that come to every person. Every person encounters these storms at some point, probably. The first storm is the storm that everybody gets, is going to have in life. That's the storm. The Bible says there were two houses. One was built on the sand. One was built on the rock. And the storm came and hit the houses. And the house with, with, built on the sand crumbled. Storms like that are going to come to all of us. You're going to have someone near to you pass away in life. You're going to have someone get get sick in life. You're going to have some accidents that come to your life here or there somewhere. There's going to be some things that take place that, that are storms. The second storm is a storm of our own making. And this is the storm that Jonah... Mm. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, but he didn't go. And he faced the storm. And in facing the storm... He faced the storm of His own making. These are the storms we make on of our own by making bad choices and decisions, by not doing the right thing when it's the right thing to do. And third, I know we need to move real quickly. You're good. Okay. And third is the storms where the innocent suffer with the guilty. This is found in the uh, 27th chapter, 28th chapter of Acts where Paul tells them not to sail. And he tells that he is being placed on a ship. He's being taken to Rome to be placed on, on, before a jury, a judge. And he is telling them, don't sail. He said, there's a storm ahead. The Bible says the captains felt a soft southern wind. And they went ahead and sailed. And the Bible tells us that the storm came and wrecked the ship, tore the ship apart. Paul was an innocent person suffering a storm with others that others made they made wrong choices all of us will have storms in our life where we are victims of others we're suffering a storm not of our own making but the making of someone else they created the storm and we're in the storm with them Mm -hmm. and so when we do any of these storms we have to be prepared to make adjustments Paul in that storm made the adjustment, and he said, whatever you do, stay with the ship. Some came on board, some came on pieces, but all of them made it to the island, all of them. And sometimes we suffer with the, in, we suffer with the guilty, the innocent does, but we, we make the adjustments to the unexpected changes. Jonah made an adjustment to the unexpected change. The house on the, on the rock made the adjustment and stood the storm by staying on the rock, being on the rock. And we all will
0: have to make some adjustments to unexpected changes. So be a giver, have a sense of humor, adjust to unexpected changes. The last one which we're not gonna have time to dive into is be prepared to take risks. Do you have like 15 seconds of that to say? (laughs) Or is that not enough time for you? (laughs) Well, if,
1: if you're gonna have faith, you're going to have to be prepared to take a risk. That's the act of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the
0: evidence of things not seen. Well, you can get the full outline of what we've been talking about today if you go to northcities.org slash lead, northcities.org L-E-A-D, and that will take you to where you can download this outline. It's been a pleasure to have Pastor D.G. Hargrove here with us. Be on the lookout. There might be more to come in regards to him being around in time a little bit more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time.